This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Friends. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. Consider the Buddha. It's a really good line. This text is full of of opening statements, which, if we just left it there and then did the work as readers, we would get where we needed to go. Last week, we talked about the way is originally perfect and all-pervading. And what I said then was that we could just stop there. That's enough. Today we come to consider the Buddha. If you have come to this tradition, you have considered the Buddha. You cannot help but not. Whether you see the Buddha as a purely historical figure or as a mythical figure, you have given him some thought. Of course, we don't know very much about him. I think there's some historical consensus consensus that someone from the aristocracy of a particular region traveled in particular patterns and eventually was known as the Buddha and developed a following. But beyond that, it's kind of a story. But the purpose of that story is to provide an exemplum for us. Someone that we consider. We ask ourselves, what does this person mean to us? What does this person represent to us? What did he do that seems fantastical, and what did he do that seems plausible? Consider the Buddha. Although he was wise at birth, the traces of his six years of upright sitting can yet be seen. So the myth of the Buddha is that he was born a bit ahead of everyone else. He had more than the normal dose of wisdom, even when he was born. That's what we're told. It's a ridiculous story. But it's beautiful too. And it's beautiful for the reason that Dogen is pointing it out. Which is to say that even though he arrived, according to this version of the story, perhaps far ahead of where we ourselves might ever get, he practiced. That's the point. And he moves on and he says, as for Bodhidharma... So now we have to consider Bodhidharma. 
unlike the Buddha, there's very little historical evidence that anyone named Bodhidharma ever existed, or that if there was someone named Bodhidharma, that he ever did any of the things that we talk about. Bodhidharma is our collective story as Zen people, and he exists so that we might understand what we are doing. As for Bodhidharma, although he had received the mind seal, this is the transmission. This is the authorization from his own teacher, Prajnatara. We should talk about Prajnatara sometime. Really interesting. Although he had received the mind seal, his nine years of facing a wall is celebrated still. Well, in case that's not clear, he received the mind seal from his teacher, and his teacher was in India. He was handed that trust. He was recognized as the person standing in his lineage when he was still in India, and then he came to China. And then he sat down in a cave in China for nine years and practiced Zazen. Not really saying anything except what he was expressing. And so the point is exactly the same. We should not imagine for a moment that there is some status, that there is some realization we can attain that negates the value of practice or that puts us into a category where practice is no longer relevant to us. Dogen is saying, consider these two people. When you sit down to do Zazen, consider these two people. Not just the continuousness of their practice, the unceasing nature of their practice, but the fact that their practice, when they sat down, was identical to yours. What they did is what you are doing. The distinctions have to do with time and place, but not action, not function. Nine people in this room tonight sat and faced a wall and did exactly the same as what has been done for 2,500 years. If even the ancient sages were like this, how can we today dispense with wholehearted practice? If even the people we put in the highest, highest echelon of realization didn't stop, how can we stop? Therefore, put aside the intellectual practice of investigating words and chasing phrases. 
Here it starts to sound really zinny. I met uh, someone once who, uh, he traveled with the Dalai Lama, and I had dinner with him and uh, mentioned that I was a Zen practitioner. And he rolled his eyes at me, and he said, oh, I hate Zen people. I said, really? And he said, they're so anti-intellectual. If by intellectual, you mean a kind of masturbatory relationship with your own ideas, then yes, <laughs> Zen is anti-intellectual. But if you mean by anti-intellectual that Zen as a tradition is against uh, analytical thought, is against studying the tradition itself, Nothing could be further from the truth. With very few exceptions, the people that we hold up as the greatest representatives of the tradition were scholars. Almost to a person. And they all said the same thing. That an academic understanding of Buddhism is limited. It's valuable. But it's not the end point. So Dogen says, put aside the intellectual practice of investigating words and chasing phrases. Put down the books. And put down your ideas about what this is supposed to be. Two of the most dangerous things we carry with us into this practice are, one, our idea of what it's supposed to feel like. We all do it. You can't pretend that you don't. No one can pretend that they don't, that they don't sit down and have an idea that it should feel like whatever that is for you. And if we really explore that, that fill in the blank, that blank is your idea of what you think realization must be like, or what wisdom must be like, or what compassion must be like. And the more that we grasp onto that ideal, the more we separate ourselves from the possibility of touching the thing that we're thinking about so hard, because we are making our own idea concrete. We're locking the door. The other thing that is a danger to us in this practice, I almost forgot that there were two, is that, that we have this vocabulary around Buddhism, which does exactly the same thing. It separates us from the things that we're actually working with. And I'll give you a really simple example. The precepts. We talk about the precepts, which are really important. But if we get stuck in the precepts, then when someone murders someone else, we say, oh, he violated the precepts. As if that's the problem. <laughs> right? As if the issue at hand is that someone violated one of the ten. 
and we take ourselves away from from the horror and from the pain of what happened, which is that someone killed and someone died. The vocabulary around Buddhism, as skillful as it is, is an incredible tool for separating ourselves from Buddhism. And this tradition has recognized that for a very long time and has always walked this kind of weird line between knowing that and then talking about it, which is participating in exactly the problem. Dogen says, put aside the intellectual practice of investigating words and chasing phrases and learn to take the backward step that turns the light and shines it inward. It's a beautiful phrase. And I've seen a lot of people argue for a really long time about what this means. How are we to understand this? There's a lot of commentary on this. And the view that I can offer of this is is maybe too simple. But, and, and I hope this is useful to you. I visited someone's home the other day. And I, I went to wash my hands. And I noticed that they had a shower that was, it was relatively small. And instead of a shower that, that aimed down at, at an angle, like 45 degrees, it was this great big shower head that was almost attached to the ceiling. It just came out like, like so. And the shower came straight down, vertically. And when I saw that, I thought of this phrase. Because when you take a shower, you have a relationship with this water that's coming to you. You can confront it, right? You can step into it. You can turn away from it. You can choose to be only partially touched by it. And you can leave part of yourself completely untouched. We have so many choices in how we confront and how we move in that tiny space that is a shower. unless you build a shower like this (laughs) in which case you have only two choices you can get in or not (laughs) you open the door to take a shower in which case you will be completely soaked and there is nowhere you can go or you just don't open the door there's no play (laughs) right When we approach practice, we play. And we imagine that we can step further into the Dharma, that we can step further into practice, that we can step further into realization. We imagine that today I can be immersed in it because I'm at a retreat, but later maybe I can get just, I can just kind of get, get a little bit damp, (laughs) you know. I can choose exactly how intense my relationship is with the Dharma. I don't have to get soaked. That's my idea. I can, I can very uh, heroically charge into it 
face first and just get soaked, get drenched, so that I'm almost blinded by it. Right. Or I can hide in the corner with the shampoo and I can just get my foot wet. But Dogen is describing a relationship to the Dharma, a relationship to practice in which we give that up. Don't imagine that you can move forward. If you've been charging forward, he's generous enough to assume that we've been trying to charge forward, by the way. If you've been charging forward, he says, stop. And he could just say, stop. I really do think that. But he says, he says, take a step back. Be right here. We already talked last week about your home. Your home is right here, in your body, where you are. And we talked last week about how you don't need to go across the world to find the real thing. So just stop. And turn the light and shine it inward. I bristle a little bit at this phrase because I, I fear that we'll read this and imagine uh, that, that this practice is a practice of navel-gazing. That we're supposed to be looking at ourselves, right? That we're staring at our own minds. That has its value. But that's a very narrow conception of what Zazen is and what practice is. It's not about you. So it can't be about looking at you. But again, I imagine that shower head. If you imagine that as a light, as one of these lamps, like the Pixar lamp, right? We shine it over here to find the thing that we're looking for. And then we scan over here because we think maybe it's over here. And we scan over here because maybe it's over here. And this says, no, aim it right here. Put that lamp directly over your own head and illuminate the space where you are. It's the only place you'll ever be. It's the only place where you will ever find the truth of anything. Body and mind of themselves will drop away. And your original face will manifest. Two things are at play here. The way that Dogen has talked about realization as an experience, is the falling away of body and mind. The story goes that he uh, 
was sitting in Zazen in China. And he was sitting next to a monk who was sleeping. And his teacher came and whacked the student with a slipper. Um, because in China and in Japan, the meditation space is, is considered an outside space, even though it's, it's roofed. You're indoors, but the floor is typically stone, and you wear slippers as if you're, you're not quite inside the building. It's, it's strange. It's like a halfway world between inside and outside. So when you sit, one of the, a lot of the, um, the finesse of sitting is that you hop up on the platform and then you have to arrange your slippers in this really nice way and then you hop down. And so there are a lot of slippers in the room. Anyway, this monk was sleeping and, uh, Tendon Yojo picked up a slipper and whacked the guy. And he said, Shinjin Datsuraku. There's body and mind fall away. And this combination of elements kind of broke Dogen open in his understanding. And so he jumped down after his teacher had left the room. He jumped down and he followed his teacher out of the room and he went back to his teacher's room. And he said, I completely got what you just said. And then he added, Datsuraku Shinjin, which is falling away body and mind. So he took the, he reversed subject and object, right? It wasn't the body and mind were falling away. It was that falling away was body and mind. His teacher thought that was pretty good. And then he says, your original face will manifest. And this is from one of the more uh, famous koans, of course. Was what was your f- original face before your parents were born? He says, if you can just stop and truly, completely be here, you'll see these things. Because the way is originally perfect and all-pervading. And then he says, if you want to realize such, get to work on such right now. Awkward phrasing. But a nice moment. If any of this sounds good to you at all, start now. Don't make a plan for next week. Don't imagine that, uh, you know, after you finish uh, fixing the cabinets, that you will get to work on realization, right? That you won't get to work on realization when the kids are a little bit older. That you won't do it after you've gotten over your cold. That it begins now. Because if the way is originally perfect and all-pervading, it has begun now. You just haven't noticed. So wake up.
and start participating in the thing that has already been happening your entire life. The idea that you can put that off until tomorrow or next week or next year is a delusion. Just like thinking, I will start breathing after my next birthday. You can go on not noticing that you're breathing until your next birthday. But this process is underway. Nothing is missing. I'll stop there for today. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.